Psalm 29, then beginning reading at uh, the first verse, a psalm of David. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The voice, the Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forests bare. And in his temple all cry, glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. You'll see in your, um, the notice sheet for this evening that there's a very simple outline of tonight's sermon. And you'll see that the sermon's been given this title, the, the God Who Speaks, The God Who Speaks. And that's a, that's a good title for, for this psalm. However, um, when we uh, look out at the, the world around us, we look at our, out at our land and, and we look out at the, the wider world, it's, it's very easy for us to think that God is not speaking in our time. The number of people in um, our land today who will be attending a church where God's Word is preached is, is tiny in percentage terms. And so we look out and we see millions of people who live as though the God of the Bible doesn't exist. Millions of people who never worship Him, even though He demands worship from every one of us. There are millions of people who break His commandments without any thought of what they're doing. They rewrite the Bible's morality to suit their own desires. And yet it seems in all of that that God is saying nothing. And we're tempted even, as Christian believers, we're tempted to ask, where is the voice of God? Why, doesn't his, why does His glory rather seem so hidden? Why doesn't He step in and do something? Why doesn't He speak? It's very easy for us to think that way. But the message of Psalm 29 is that God is speaking to this world. That His glory and His power are visible to all. And we'll see that as we go through. So we're going to look at the psalm then under three headings. Um, the first one, of course, is this, the God who is praised in heaven. The God who is praised in heaven. Um, so in this psalm, remember, this is, a, this is poetry. This is a song of praise. Um, King David, the author, takes us on a journey. This is a journey that starts in heaven with the angels, with the heavenly beings gathered around the throne of God. And this is absolutely the right place for us to start, because before we start to understand how God's voice is heard in the world and how He should be worshipped and praised, it's helpful for us to get a glimpse of the praise that God constantly receives in heaven. It's helpful for us to understand what a, a correct and a right response to God looks like. 
Now, the psalm then begins by calling out to the heavenly beings. Now, literally the word there means sons of God or perhaps sons of might, but it's, it's right in this context and as we see it used elsewhere in the Old Testament to, 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 to interpret this, I think, as heavenly beings or the angels around the throne. So the psalm calls out to these angels, to these heavenly beings, to praise God. And here we see, therefore, a little bit of what true praise of God looks like. Um, Note then fairly briefly that that, that two words are used here for for praising God. Firstly, in verses 1 and 2, we have uh, three times this word, ascribe, or, or, or as it could be translated simply, give. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, and so on. Give to the Lord. What does this mean? What are we calling then on the angels to do as, as, as we, we sing and we pray the words of this psalm? Well, well, I think it's this. We're calling on them to acknowledge what is true about God and to repeat it back to Him, to tell God, in other words, what He is, to praise Him for what He is. You see, in the world around us, God is generally not acknowledged. When we tell people about him, they often refuse to acknowledge him and accept him, and, and indeed they refuse to, to praise him. And, and perhaps that's someone who's here tonight, perhaps that's you. You've never accepted what the Bible has to say about God. You've never truly praised him. Well, the angels in heaven, they see God as he really is, and they never stop praising him. They never stop Um, calling him what he is and honoring him for what he is. And it's worth understanding that if you've never done that. Uh, But just what it is that the angels are called to, what is it that rather the angels are called to ascribe to God here? What are they praising him for? Um, Look again at uh, verse 1 and verse 2. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. And let's just take those back to front. So God's name in Scripture is is shorthand for everything that God is. He is the great, majestic, mighty creator. He is the ruler and the king over all things. He's perfectly just. He's infinitely wise and all-knowing. He's good, and he's incredibly and ultimately and infinitely and wonderfully loving. And we are to repeat, to acknowledge all those things and to repeat them back to him. We also here see his strength, ascribed to the Lord, glory and strength. He's the powerful God. Indeed, he's the all-powerful, infinitely strong God. And, and that's a key theme as we go through this psalm. We'll see something of God's strength and his power. And we're to worship him and praise him for that too. So in heaven then, God's power and his strength and his majesty are clear for all to see. And as we sing his praises here this evening, as we've done so already, we're joining with the angels. We're calling out to them to acknowledge who God is, and we're praising him for what he and who he is. And he is worthy of all the praise of heaven. So that's the first word here, ascribe. The second word is is worship, worship. And the word at its simplest means to bow down to bow down. You'll see that um, the heavenly beings are called to worship God, and they're called to worship Him in the splendor of holiness, the splendor of His holiness. So what is holiness? We often and, and rightly think of holiness in terms of purity, don't we? Freedom from sin. 
But actually, when we talk about God is holy, we, we mean more than that. And holiness for God means that he is set apart. And not only morally, but actually in every way. He's set apart from his creation. God is not part of the world and the universe he's made. He's above it, and he's beyond it, and he's greater than it. He's more wonderful than it. He's set apart. In other words, he's transcendent. He's above it all. Perhaps you, you know and you remember Isaiah chapter 6 and the, the great vision that Isaiah has of God here. He sees God high and lifted up, in, and the, the, the train of his robe fills the temple. And uh, he's being praised there. He's being served by cherubim, um, and, or rather seraphim. And the seraphim surround God's throne. And, and the picture we have in that vision, each of those seraphim has three pairs of wings. With one set they fly, with one set they cover their feet, and with one set they cover their face. So when they appear before God, they cover their faces and they cover their feet. And what is it that they cry out? They cry out this, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. See, facing the holiness, the separateness, the transcendence of God, even sinless heavenly beings cover their faces because God is greater and he is beyond. He's holy, he's infinitely holy. And that holiness, it's It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's glorious. And, and how are we going to respond? Well, how do the angels in heaven respond? They bow down. They worship in awe and reverence. So that's the second word we have. And as soon as we as simple human beings catch just a glimpse of that holiness, that beauty, how will we respond? We bow down and worship, don't we? Is there another response that we could have? So that's the first point that we have this evening, the God who is praised in heaven. We ascribe to him all of the glory that's due to his name, and we worship him in his beautiful holiness. So firstly, God is praised in heaven. Secondly, God speaks through the storm. God speaks through the storm. So our journey continues. We've started up in heaven, and we've seen God for who he really is, and as he is worshipped there, and now we come down to earth. We come to this earth where this glorious and this awesome and this holy God, well, he's not acknowledged by the vast majority of people around us, where most people seem unaware of his voice and ignorant of his name and his reputation. We're in this earth where most people seem to think that it's reasonable to deny by their lives the existence of God and to ignore his demands on their life. This world where there's chaos and there's confusion and there's political strife, where there's war and famine and selfishness and greed and disaster and death. Where in all of this? Where is the voice of God in this? How is his mighty power to be seen? That's the question, isn't it? Well, the middle of this psalm um, depicts a, a dramatic and a, a powerful storm in the land of Israel. And it's worth saying at this point that this is not your typical Scottish storm, okay? This is, this is not the storm I saw a few weeks ago when I was sitting up in my flat, and uh, I, my, my flat overlooks the Dean Bowling Club. And uh, it was one, one evening, you could sort of hear the, the thunder rolling in the background and a few flashes of lightning out there. But the bowling club, they, they were out, they were enjoying their game, and they were playing their bowls, and it was going along, and, uh, and, and suddenly the lightning got a bit closer, and the rain started pouring down, and... 
the, the hardy Dean Bowling Club people, they, did, they just carried on. You know, this is Scotland. This is, this is what it's like, right? You know, this is, this is Britain. You can't just stop for a bit of rain. And the lightning was forking in the background, and the, light, the sky was kind of dark, but they carried on. And they, actually, they only stopped when, when the green got flooded and they couldn't play anymore. So that, but this is not that kind of storm. This is the kind of storm that you don't go playing bowls in. Okay, this is something very, very different. Just have a look then, and, 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 and we'll just, let's just trace the pattern of this storm. You see, it starts out to sea, and the, the people in the land of Israel, well, they, 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 they hear, no doubt, the thunder, and perhaps they see the lightning in the distance, and the clouds are rolling in, and it's dark, and the waves are crashing, and, uh, and the storm moves through the sky, and gradually that storm moves into the land, and it starts off by moving to the land north of Israel, and it moves up into the, the mountains of, of Lebanon, and Syrian, or, or, or Hermon, and, and, and the people look up north, and the thunder is rolling, and the lightning's flashing, and the storm is forming, and it's, it's pretty awesome, actually. You, you'll notice that our verses describe it, that, 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 that the mountains shake, and it uses this language. It, it, it says that the, the mountains skip like a calf or like a, a young ox. These are mighty mountains. They're 3,000 meters tall, and they've been there for, for ages and ages, and yet it's like they're jumping in the power of this storm. It's pretty awesome, isn't it? And then the storm moves from the north down into the land of Israel. And as it does so, its great power is, is, is seen by everyone. The great cedars of Lebanon, these ancient mighty trees up there on the hills, well, they're, they're, they are, they're sort of split and destroyed by the wind and the, and, 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 and the gusts. And the forests, well, they're stripped of their leaves and they're left bare. What kind of storm is this? The lightning, it comes down like flames of fire and it causes destruction and devastation on its way. And the storm moves in great power right down through the land, up from the mountains in the north all the way down to the deserts of the south, the deserts of Kadesh. And what a mess and what an effect and how scary this is. We're, we're cowering, aren't we? We're keeping out of the way of this storm. It's dangerous, it's powerful, it's mighty. The might of nature is on display. But of course, that's wrong, isn't it, in a sense? We're not here to see the might of nature. The psalmist would have us see not nature at work, but God. You see, um, what, what, what perhaps stood out to you as we read this psalm is this piece of repetition here, the voice of the Lord, um, this, this useful sort of poetic um, effect here that we have the repetition over and over and over again of this same phrase. We're meant to get the point that this is God speaking. See, how is it that the trees are split apart? The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. What's the source of the lightning? Um, the voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. What is it that makes the oaks shake? And that's probably a better reading of what we have in verse 9 than the Lord makes the deer to give birth. What is it that makes the oaks shake? And what is, well, what is it that strips the forest bare? It's the voice of the Lord. The voice of the Lord. You see, this is no random event. This is not the workings of an impersonal world. This is not just random happenings. This is just not, not just the impact of weather systems colliding with one another, although, of course, it is that. 
It's not enough for us to just accept the explanations of science, although they're true and they're wonderful. And, and, and we're very privileged today that we understand the nature and the working of our world infinitely better than, the, than the, the people did in this day. We know all of the intricate details behind what causes a storm and what causes the lightning and what causes the rain. And yet, that is not the point. Uh, in fact, when we see that, we just find ourselves even more in awe of the God who speaks through the storm. The more we understand, the more in awe we must be. You see, God, through the storm in David's day and through the storm today, is speaking to our world. But here's the question then. What is he saying? What does he have to say to us? Well, as a start point, look at verse 4. Verse 4, the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. You see, God, at least here, is declaring His strength and His power. That same strength and power that the angels in heaven fully see and acknowledge. He's revealing to all in our world that He's the glorious, majestic God. Last week, uh, Cheeps was preaching on Psalm 19. And in Psalm 19, we're told this, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. In other words, we look at our world and everything in it cries out that God is there, that God is the mighty creator, that He is the great Lord of everything. We look up and we see the vastness of the galaxies and the hugeness, the immensity of this universe and the the wonder of the stars and we see the greatness and the glory of God and we look down at the ground around us and we see the intricate detail of every little flower and every little drop of water and we see the wonderful brilliance of our God. But the world is full of people who see just that and they look up and they see nothing. They understand nothing, or so it seems. They walk around as though God is not there, even though every single blade of grass is crying out that God exists. And Psalm 29 is not Psalm 19. This is something more. This is something um, uh, more raw and more urgent in a sense. Here we have God speaking in the storm. This is an awesome display of His power. God is calling out then to those who ignore the reality of God in the creation, the wonder of God in the stars and in the sky and in the ground around us. He is calling out to them, and perhaps He's calling out to you. See my power. Behold my majesty. I'm the one who is due your worship and your adoration. Won't you listen to me? And the storm does a little more than that as well, actually. It shows us and it reminds us that we are not the masters of this world. When I was writing this sermon, and actually again this afternoon, I was sitting in my flat and I've got a top floor flat in an old uh, tenement building, and uh, uh, the the sort of local summer was well underway and the wind was sort of howling around the streets as it does and uh, looking out at the beautiful sunshine, but there was also this sort of whistling noise and and that was the wind and and, and then the wind sort of changed direction and I found that the panes of glass in my old windows were rattling backwards and forwards and it was though the wind was trying to get in and it just made me think just in a small way, well, that's just a bit of wind, it's nothing much, it's quite nice actually out there with a bit of wind, but that that wind, if 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 I wanted to stop it, well, I couldn't, could I? I can't change its direction one little bit. All I can do is put some glass in the way and hope that the the, the structure of the window is sound and I'll be all right just here. I can't change even a little bit of wind. We can't do it. But when we are faced with the mighty storm, 
when we're faced with the earthquake, when we're faced with a volcano, with a typhoon, when we're, when we're faced with a tsunami. We recognize how small we are, how out of control we are. We see all of a sudden that we are not the masters of this world. We are not in charge of nature. We can't even influence it, really. And we see that God is all-powerful. We see that God is mighty. We see that He is greater. And we hear Him speaking and putting us, if you like, in the place where we, we really are. So, Christian believers here tonight, don't be tempted to think that God has left many millions of, this, of people in this world ignorant of Him. Don't be tempted to think that He is silent, that He's only perceivable within the walls of a church. He is not. His power is on display not only in His creation, but in the storm and the earthquake and the fire and the flood. See, the issue isn't whether God is speaking. He is. The issue isn't whether His power and His majesty is visible to all. It is. The issue is, will people acknowledge it or will they ignore it and turn their back on it as though what is obvious isn't there? That's the issue. That's the issue. And how about you? Is there someone here who is pretending what is evident isn't there? Um, perhaps a key passage in the New Testament on this is uh, Romans chapter 1 and, and verse 18 onwards, which says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So, they are without excuse. It's plain, you see, the world shows forth God's eternal nature, His power, His might, His majesty. It's clear to see if only you will have eyes to look and see it. And friends, if you've never yet come to trust in Jesus Christ, if you've never bowed the knee to God in worship, acknowledging who He is, then the Bible doesn't say to you, never mind, you didn't know. You don't get let off the hook because you'd never been to a church. One day, each one of us will stand before God. One day, each of us will give account for our lives. And how then will you explain to God why you ignored Him and rejected Him and lived your life your way instead of God's way? Will you say, I was never convinced that you existed? I had no real idea that you demanded my worship and my service. I thought I could do just what I wanted and it was all just chance and accident in this world. Will you say that? No, you will not say that. In your despair and in your realization that everything you thought was true was not, you will say nothing. You will have no excuse. God revealed His power and His might to you over and over again in the brilliance and the beauty of this world, in the storm and in the earthquake and in the flood and in the great acts of nature. And you ignored it. And I plead with you tonight, if you've ignored it thus far in your life, please don't carry on ignoring this God. He cries out to you. Will you listen? Will you hear Him? Don't make that mistake. 
For in understanding this psalm and interpreting what God is saying here, actually we need to go further than we have so far. We've seen that his power and his majesty are on display. But we must look a little bit further because I think it's clear to us that there's a real um, sort of dark edge to this psalm, isn't there? There's a violence here. There's a threat. This storm is nasty. It's dangerous. It threatens death and destruction. And, and when we look at the world, we see earthquakes and we see all of these things, and they are dangerous and they destroy and they kill. And God isn't just showing us his power and his might here. He's displaying and warning us of his judgment. It's a foreshadowing of the judgment to come, if you like. Um, this is clear, actually, in verse 10. Verse 10 says this, The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. And the word here used for flood is only ever used in the Bible to refer to the flood of Noah's day. This great act of judgment on the world when God looked down and saw that the whole earth was corrupt and full of violence and, and only one man and his family trusted him and that was Noah. And Noah, even though he pleaded with the people to come and trust in God, they laughed at him and ignored him. And God brought a great judgment on the world in a flood which killed every man and woman, boy and girl, except for Noah and his family who were safe in an ark, in a boat that he built. It's a terrible, terrible day. And that's what's referred to here when it says God is enthroned over the flood. You see, these great acts of destruction and power that we look out and see in the world are reminders to us of the terrifying judgment that is to come. And everyone knows, actually, that it is coming, really. In, in Matthew 24, Jesus um, uh, refers back to Noah, and he says, As it was in the days of Noah, so will the coming be of the Son of Man. So will Jesus' return be. Jesus is coming back to judge this world one day. Uh, people will be carrying on their lives when he comes back. They will be going to work, and they will be enjoying their leisure time. They'll be getting married. They'll be going to buy food at the supermarket. They'll be doing whatever the things that we, we normally do. And then suddenly, there will be a trumpet sound, and suddenly the sky will light up, and the Lord Jesus Christ and his angels will appear, and they will come, and there will be no more time to respond to him, and a day of judgment will begin and those who've lived their lives as though God didn't exist will find themselves condemned, condemned to everlasting judgment, condemned to the horror of hell, terror and suffering and pain beyond any of our imagination. And God, in these great events of nature, in the storm, He's being gracious to us, actually. He's being good to us. He's warning us. There is judgment to come. There really is. Do not end up there. Escape it whilst there's time. Do not rebel against me anymore. That's, that's the message of the storm. But how, someone says, how? Where is their hope? I've ignored this God all my life. I've failed to obey his laws. I've lived as if he didn't exist. How can I be safe in the hands of this mighty and awesome God? What hope is there for, for me? And so, we move to our, our third point this evening. We've seen the God who is praised in heaven, and then we've seen the God who speaks through the storm, and thirdly and wonderfully and critically, the God who gives His people peace. 
So our journey continues, if you like. We've swept down from heaven, and we've gone through the land, and now we come and find ourselves coming into the temple uh, in verse 9. Verse 9 says this, um, after this, the voice of the Lord makes the deer gives birth and strips the forest bare, and in his temple all cry glory. So we come now into the house of God, the the place where for Old Testament Israel, God's presence was especially known, and he was especially worshipped. And here we find actually an amazing scene because here is this destructive storm. It's ripping the, all of the, uh, of the branches and, and leaves off the trees. It's, it's, it's lightning is causing chaos. It's, 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 it's terrifying. But here is a group of people and they're in the temple and they're crying out to this God and they're crying out glory. They're praising his name. And they do, they do not seem to be cowering or hiding. No, they're praising God. Even as the signs of judgment rage about them. And the question we must ask, of course, is how can this be so? How can it be like this? Why aren't they cowering in fear? What's going on here? Surely these two are people who failed to acknowledge God many times. Surely these are people who have broken his commands. Surely they too have lived as if God doesn't exist. Surely they've fallen short of God's standards. Well, perhaps it's this. Maybe they're trying to appease God. Maybe they're like the pagans in the lands around them, and they think that if they shout and jump up and down and make a lot of noise and perform certain rituals, perhaps God will notice them and look on them favorably and keep them safe. Could that be what's going on? No, I don't think so. Perhaps there's someone here who actually, many thousands of years later, thinks in a similar way. wonders if we go to church to pray and sing and do all this stuff, live good lives, etc. We do all of that so that God perhaps will hear us and see us and maybe think we're good enough to escape hell and go to heaven. Perhaps we're just trying to earn his favor and hope that if we do it well enough, he'll accept us. Is that what it's all about? Is that what church is? Is that why we're here? No, it's not. Come with me to verse 11. Uh, uh, verse 11 of this, this psalm is very interesting. It says this, May the Lord give strength to his people. And then this last phrase. May the Lord, or perhaps the Lord will. It's also a valid translation. May the Lord will give his people, bless his people with peace. Doesn't that last phrase catch your eye in the midst of this psalm? Isn't it different? Isn't it striking? If we imagine this and uh, uh, this, this psalm as a, a piece of orchestral music, and of course it is music, um, we, we could perhaps imagine a great orchestra loaded with lots of lots of brass and percussion and lots of banging of drums, and, and the, the majority of this psalm is a sort of cacophony of sound. There's trumpets are blaring, and the, and the, 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 the great kettle drums are being banged, and there's strings are sort of playing very very discordant music, and, and it's it's a loud noise, and there's lots of complicated rhythms going on, and it builds up to this great picture of grandeur of the storm and its destructive power, and then it gets right to the very end, and we think we've understood the piece of music, and just at the last minute, everything drops down, and in come the strings and the wind, and they play this beautiful, clear, calm, harmonious tune, just two little phrases, and it stops, and suddenly the way we look at that whole piece of music is just totally changed. That's what's going on here, you see. When we get that last verse, our understanding is transformed, and suddenly it all makes sense. You see, in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the warnings of judgment, 
the Lord will bless his people with peace. And how is that so? Well, we need to remember that these were God's people here. This God, this God of the judgment, this God of the storm, He was not unknown to them. He was not distant to them. We see time and time again throughout the storm this this name for Him, the Lord, and that's a translation of the Hebrew name Yahweh, which was the name for the covenant God. Here is the God who was the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. Here is the God who brought them out of slavery in Egypt through the wilderness and brought them into the land, the promised land. Here is the God who gave them the law and the sacrifices and the commandments. Here is the God who promised them that He would be their God and that they would be His people and that He would keep them and bless them for all time. You see, this is the God they prayed to. This is the God they knew. This is the God in whom, with whom they had a relationship. This is not some distant deity. And therefore, they knew they had confidence that this was the God who saved them and loved them and cared for them. And in that context, in the context of the peace that He gave them, they could worship Him secure in the knowledge that they were safe. How so? And what about us today? What about us? How do we know this God and how do we know His peace? Well, come forward in time to the era of the Gospels with me and come to the Lake of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, and here's a small boat on the Sea of Galilee. And in this boat, there's a a group of men and they're out on the lake and it's calm and it's fine. And some of them are experienced fishermen. They know what they're doing. And suddenly, out of nowhere, comes a violent storm. And the the wind is blowing. And the rain is tearing down. And the wind is pushing up the waves. And the boat is being tossed around. It's not a small boat. It's being tossed around. It's not a big boat. It's being tossed around all over the place. And the waves now are coming over the top. And they're smashing into the boat from side to side. And these men know that this boat is at the point of being smashed in pieces. And they're reaching the point where they will all be drowned with no hope. And they're panicking, and they're fighting, and they're straining. But one man isn't doing that. One man is asleep in the bottom of the boat on a cushion. And they go to him, and they wake him up, and they say, Teacher, teacher, wake up. Don't you care that we are dying here? And he gets up, and he rebukes the wind. He tells it to stop. And to the waves, he says, Peace, be still. And suddenly, just as quickly as the storm arose, there is peace. Everything is still and quiet and calm. And the men look at him in amazement. And perhaps they shouldn't be amazed, actually, but they are. Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Well, who is this? Well, this is Jesus, of course. We know that, don't we? This is God the Son. This is the second person of the Trinity. This very same God who warns the world of his judgment in the storm. And he's taken on a human body. He's taken on human flesh. And here he was for 30-odd years living among us. And here he is, this God who is not in any way distant and aloof, but the very same God who is the God of the storm, whose glory thunders, who, who warns us in the lightning and in the earthquake and in the storm. This very same God, here he is, dwelling in human flesh, living with ordinary men. And he stills the storm, and he brings his people peace. But come a little bit further with me. Come to a scene later in the gospel account. And here is that man, this God-man. Here he is again. 
Here is the God who thunders warnings of judgment in the storm, and here he stands before a court, and here he is accused of crimes that he did not commit, and here he is condemned to death. And he says nothing. He says nothing in response to the accusations. He humbly accepts the condemnation, the God of glory condemned to death unjustly. And here he is being mocked and beaten, and here is a crown of thorns being placed on his head, and here he's, he is in the light of that, not saying a word, not calling on the angels to rescue him. And here he is hanging on a cross, dying in agony, and as he does so, what does he do? He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the sky is dark, and it's not the storm, but the complete blackness and absence of sun now. And as he is there, all of the wrath of God that ought to have fallen on his people, fall on Jesus. Here he is bearing all of the judgment that ought to have been mine and ought to have belonged to every single person who believes in him. You see, for all those who come and have put their faith in Jesus Christ, there is now no judgment for us. There's no storm of God's wrath that we will have to face. The God of awesome glory has rescued us from his own judgment. Well, as we draw to a close, if you've never come to know this God, if thus far in your life you've hidden from His power, you've pretended He's not there, you've ignored the signs in the skies and the judgment of the storm, won't you come to Him today? You see, all you have to do is come and put your faith in Him, put your trust in Him, confess your sin, confess you've ignored Him and broken His commands and ask for His forgiveness, that He will be your Savior and your Lord, and He will save you. And He'll take you from death to life. He'll take you from one under judgment to one accepted and welcomed in as a, a child of God. And then you can call the God of this psalm your God, your friend, your King, your Lord. Isn't that glorious? No judgment anymore for you. Only joy and peace. And for those of us who are Christian believers, I think there are times for all of us when we, we doubt, don't we? We worry that perhaps we've just sinned too much and perhaps God's judgment is going to fall on us and perhaps we're not going to be okay. Well, the great message of this psalm for us is that the Lord does give His people peace. The warnings of judgment in the storm, they're not for you. The thundering God of glory and His message of judgment is not for you. That last day when... We'd have to stand and be condemned to judgment. That's not for you. Not for you. But for you is peace and joy and acceptance as a child of God. Isn't that glorious? And so we find ourselves then, like the people in the temple, we cry out glory to God. We sing our songs of worship and praise and we pray to Him. We ascribe to Him glory and strength. We give Him the glory due to His name. We worship Him, don't we, in the beauty of His holiness, like the angels in heaven. And one day we'll do that perfectly because we'll see him as he really is and see him with our eyes. And now we go and we preach the good news to a world around us, encouraged that they have seen and heard this God and what they need is the good news of Jesus Christ. So God is not silent in this world. He is speaking loud and clear for all to see. The question for us is, how have we responded? And do we therefore know his peace through Jesus Christ? Amen.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's an awesome thing to consider your judgment, your wrath, and your justice. But we come acknowledging that we are all sinners and we fall far short of the glory of God. And yet we come in praise and wonder that the glorious God of heaven, the God of the storm, the God of judgment and justice came down to this earth and became a man and lived amongst ordinary people and died a painful death and bore all the storm of the judgment of Almighty God on His own body so that all who come and trust in Him may be free and may know peace. We thank You and we praise You for that. And we pray that no one would go home tonight without knowing that peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.